You're listening to the Clutter Fairy Weekly, a weekly webcast and podcast brought to you by the Clutter Fairy in Houston, Texas. If you'd like to participate in one of our live webcasts, please visit cfhou.com slash weekly. You'll find a calendar of upcoming webcasts, as well as instructions for joining the Zoom meeting via the app or by phone. We'd love to see you. That URL again is cfhou.com slash weekly. Now here's the weekly episode. Enjoy. Hi, Clutter Fairy fans. This is the Clutter Fairy Weekly for January 30th, 2024. I'm your co-host, Ed Gumnick, and I'm speaking with Gail Goddard, certified professional organizer and owner of the Clutter Fairy in Houston, Texas. Hi, everybody. The Clutter Fairy Weekly is the webcast and podcast that digs deep into the clutter that piles up between you and the life you want to be living. We explore the habits and behaviors that lead to clutter, and we suggest strategies to slow the accumulation, reduce the collection, and comfortably manage the stuff we decide to keep. If you're new to our Zoom meeting, we want to let you know that you can share your comments and questions via the chat feature, and I'll try to make sure Gail addresses them before we move on to another topic. You can also use the raise hand feature to let us know that you'd like to make a comment or ask a question yourself via audio or video. And we're streaming the webcast live on Facebook, so you can share your questions and comments there, and I'll relay them to Gail. Let's start by following up on last week's weekly title, which was called Playing Devil's Advocate. The assignment was to interrogate yourself about an item from an outside perspective. Let's hear from our participants in Zoom and on Facebook who experimented with a clutter-critical perspective this week. Please let us know in the comments. YouTube viewer and frequent contributor Ms. Leanite offered a sort of counterpoint to this week's tittle. She writes, thank you, Gail and Ed. Excellent show this week. Very useful. Just one point. Some of us really don't need another critical, implacable voice in our head. Maybe we could substitute the voice <laughs> of Gail or Ed. Calm, friendly, and respectful, and maybe and just a little disorganized, but not readily conned or fooled. Or some famous person or movie TV character known for being calm and kind, but firm. Yeah, you all know that Ed and I are happy to be the voices in your head. <laughs> Just imagine us giggling and saying, really, sister? Because, you know, we can see right through all those smoke screens you're throwing up. And then we would start asking you those many questions that we came up with about an object. And don't forget to have us say good job at the end of the process. We're happy right. to be the people in your head and, uh, and ha have had that feedback before that they, um, that clients or uh, people in the zoom meeting or in uh, YouTube uh, give us feedback that they imagine what I would say, <laughs> what would Gail say in this situation? What would Ed say in this situation? And so we are happy to serve that purpose. And if listening to all of our videos means that you have created a version of Gail in your head talking to you, take good advantage of it. Use it because I promise to be uh, non-judgmental <laughs> and still be asking you the truth about your stuff, right? I'm going to be wondering what it is. So in my head, I'm hearing Ed say, what would I find if I look behind that door? from <laughs> yeah. you you mentioned that last week and i thought yeah that's kind of what happens i look at something and go so what's in there what's in here what's in here what, what, if what I happens take this lid off? this box right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um, you know you can imagine me being there doing that and being curious about your stuff and hopefully you know asking you some real questions and uh, you can give yourself um some real answers because you know 
Nobody's going to really know except you and see if it helps you. Marsh also shared her tittle report. Marsh writes, <laughs> my category is a six-tier shelf in the kitchen that catches all stuff. Standing in play acting, I cringed as, as I imagined our Gail standing next to me, doing <laughs> what she does best, starting right away to clear the clutter. My questions were, one, why? Two, what is this? And three, let it go, right? As I kept listening to myself, I realized that I would not be satisfied because of the emotional zing attached. Then I noticed one shelf was already done. Cleared, organized, cleaned, shiny with open space to share. As the bright sunlight came through the window, reflected the brilliance of this one shelf. My, care my caregiver had already started this process for me. I'm only having to reflect on my emotions left behind. Wow. <laughs> it's really rewarding to see a cleared, clean shelf with open space on it, right? I'm sure that shelf can be made to serve you well in the kitchen and to offer storage for things that need to be stored. And it can be intentionally stocked with a plan instead of a catch-all place. And so you're doing great. And I'm, I'm glad that the caregiver uh, helped clear a space for you. And as you're having your emotional response to what she cleared, you can still ask yourself those questions. What was it? You know, why did I have it? It's, it's okay to let it go. And if there's anything that you are regretful about, uh, maybe you can find a replacement or you can just sit with the, the feeling of regret or loss for a little while and see if it doesn't pass. If it isn't just a momentary feeling that will fade with time so that it's not crippling or destroying or uh, completely disruptive. It's just momentarily disruptive. And um, think about that as she goes about clearing the job. And the thing about those six-tiered shelves is, A, they're very tall. And so the part, you know, the very top shelf is a perfect place to park things that need to be kept but be out of the way, that don't need to be gotten very often. And the shelves that you can stand in front of and reach easily are the shelves that are the best to be made as active zones where you're putting things in and out often and, and quickly, or you know, like food that gets restocked all the time or anything that you go and grab and retrieve more than once a week. It's good to put on those two shelves that are sort of chest high so you can see it easily and reach it easily. And then the ones, you know, above sort of over your head and below at your feet uh, are spaces that you park things you don't need to get very often. And the farthest overhead, the very top one, is where I put big and lightweight things so that if it fell off or you were trying to grab it and it and you lost control, you wouldn't die from having it fall on right. your head. You need to take that into consideration. So if it's super heavy, then it needs to be on the very bottom shelf. You don't want to be lifting something off that's super heavy and having to put it to the ground get it on the bottom shelf and leave it down there where it's the heavy is at the bottom. And it can be made to be a functional, a, you know, a couple of shelves as a functional zones, active zones, and a couple of shelves as storage zones and be a useful place instead of a catch-all. And so good luck on that. It sounds like you're asking yourself good questions and that you've got support uh, while you're working on it. So I'm glad it's going away, going okay. And thanks for sharing it with us. I appreciate it. M said her questions are, how did this mess get made and who can clean it up? Not very cheery, but it works because if I answer the latter with hiring someone, I opt to do it myself. Wow. Oh. 
because that is an option, right? You can hire somebody to fix it or you can say, mm, don't want to spend my money on that. I'll just do it myself. Good for you. And it sounds to me like you're recognizing that you are monetarily motivated, right? Like it, it isn't motivation that the house looks better. It's motivating that you don't have to spend money for someone else to fix it. And so great. If you've identified what motivates you, then go for it and use it. Use it to prompt you to keep going. <laughs> I love that. Connie teased us with the with a comment that she said, you'd be amused to know what I heard as I decided eight diskettes had to go. What did you hear? <laughs> uh, yeah, you're going to have to tell us more. I, that, <laughs> right? I'm curious whether you're talking about um, someone you share your space with or the 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 voice in your head, <laughs> the voice, the voice in your head that we ask you to, to conjure. Um, tell us more. Anita says, my question is always, where does this live? If the item is homeless, a home has to be found or it goes. That's a, yes, that's a yes. good, tough standard. Most things do have a home now, but paper is still an issue. Yeah, yeah, paper. Story of my life. Everybody's problem, right? Paper is yeah. the endless problem. But, but you touched on a very important truth, which is everything has to have a place to live. Like if it's going to live in the house, it has to have a place to live. And if it's going to get used, it has to have a place to live that is functional and easy to put it away and get it back out again. And having it stuffed into a cabinet that is clearly a storage unit by completely packing it full so that you can't possibly see what's in there and you have no idea what's back there. That's not enough of a criteria. The fact that it needs its own parking space, like think, imagine when you, you can't park a whole bunch of cars all next to each other in a big box and then somebody at the front of the line be able to get their car out, right? <clears throat> you have to be able to park your stuff in such a way that you can retrieve and put back easily without having to unpack the whole cabinet or the whole shelf to get what you want. Now, there's space constraints around that where you have to unpack a little, but the goal is always to make it as easy for you as possible. So the more things that go into a cabinet or a drawer, the harder it gets to use it and to take it out and put it back. It makes it more of a barrier for you to retrieve it and try to use it. When you have to fight your way to it, <laughs> you're much less likely to pick it. So <clears throat> keeping that in mind is important. It needs a parking space and if it doesn't have one, I mean, creating a parking space is the concept of creating a system around managing an object. And if you have stuff that don't have, if you haven't thought your way through what the parking space is for an item, or if you go to that parking space, expecting to put it there and the parking space is completely stuffed full, then you're not actually creating a functional use space. You're creating a storage space. And so I'm thinking your way through that. Um, designing a parking space, recognizing when the parking space stops being a parking space and becomes a storage unit and what you have to do to reclaim it as a parking space uh, and being able to notice that is an important maintenance process that you get to learn to do in order to keep your space together. And so good job. You figured it out already. You found that you got to have a parking space and I'm proud of you. Uh, Connie clarified. She said nothing, no way to know what was on them. Talking about the discats. Oh, 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 yeah, right. I, well, I totally missed the missed the point of of the, of what, what she was saying. <laughs> yeah, 
It's surprising, though, how many people will look at diskettes or, um, you know, some other antique storage mechanism Media, that, yeah. that they haven't hooked up in a decade and still have difficulty deciding whether they can let it go. It's like, oh, yeah, there there was there's definitely there's definitely usefulness in here. I just can't ever access it again. So <laughs> so now what? Right. Yeah. And I think a lot of people get hung up with the idea that what got recorded on VHS tapes must be, you know, precious. But I think right. we forget that mostly what we did was we recorded television shows and movies off the tv that's what we did we made our own copies of things that were being broadcast so that we could watch it again and so right there's a lot of vhs in the world that has bad copies of media that is now better sourced some other way right. and so the, the real risk there is the cassette tape has instead of being in a mixtape it has some recording of somebody talking in your family or the vhs tape has a record of you know somebody did a did a video had a video camera and did a video of a family event and then they have a, a vhs tape of mothers you know somebody got married somebody had a birthday right. somebody you know <clears throat> and they recorded some family event somebody went you know there was there was a whole season of everybody every dad brought the video camera to the little kids recital <laughs> and they recorded the recital, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, probably don't have to worry too much about that stuff. But, but it is, it is the hiccup for people letting go of media without being able to screen it. But if you can't actually screen it, if you can't look at it and see what's on it, you also can't look at it to watch it. So I'm not sure what the point of that is, unless you want to spend the money to transfer it unseen onto right. something else. And you yeah, know, pay somebody is, to move it and make an MP3 file for you, which is an right, expensive is way to satisfy your curiosity, right? An expensive way to find out that it's a copy of uh, The Wizard of Oz with Gunsmoke. commercials <laughs> and edited for television. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the risk is pretty low. And the ones that were actually family events, like they took a video of um, my mother's 60th uh, birthday. Mm -hmm. and then it got labeled suzanne's uh you know right it, so it was, it was obvious that it was personal and it was about her and it, otherwise i'm sure it's a, you know if it's blank or if it doesn't have something like nobody would make a video of the family really and then not label it this is grandpa bill right <laughs> like, <laughs> they wouldn't just leave it and so right. I, the risk is pretty low there. One hopes. One hopes, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Okay, I think we should get on with our main topic. Okay. Well-chosen decor can express your personality and make your home feel cozy, warm, and inviting. But a lot can go wrong as you select objects, colors, textures, and materials to decorate your space. Today, we're going to, get, going to examine ways that decor can lead to clutter and suggest strategies for right-sizing your decorative choices. Christine gave us this topic this week by asking this question. Decor. What is the worst home decor for adding visual clutter? Like photo gallery walls or open shelving in kitchen or a pot rack. Unfortunately, some of the most efficient home decor, like open shelves in the kitchen, are the most cluttered. 
I can definitely make a list of the worst offenders in terms of objects becoming clutter. <clears throat> Throw pillows are a big one. Candles, coasters, you know, drink coasters, lamps for some reason. And the worst of the worst is a holiday or seasonal theme decor. I've removed more of these items from clients' home than you can possibly imagine. But the real problem is one of perception rather than the objects. We keep finding cute stuff in the stores, and we believe we need to add to the collections at home, thinking that more is better. It doesn't take more than one season to have too much stuff out, or too much stuff in the cabinets of drawers that already got retri retired. And I clean out those cabinets a lot on jobs. Going and opening what's in here. And I ask the question, what's in this cabinet? And I open it in the living room, in the dining room, in a, you know, a guest room. It's most often uh, seasonal or uh, holiday themed decor that's jammed into a cabinet somewhere that I have to open up and go, oh, God. And then I end up hauling off a huge amount of stuff. The truth about decor in general is that one person's need for visual stimulation is another person's visual clutter. Uh, for some, for instance, here's this, you know, here's the wall behind me that is decorated with decor. And uh, for some people, this is a lovely display. And for others, it's a hot mess of crooked things and too much stimulation and then lastly, for some, this wall is looking like there's so much room to store things that it's not being used. Like we haven't packed it densely enough yet. So right, there's only those two little salt and pepper shakers right there above your head or, so, or something. Right, they right. They definitely put more in there. And there's, you know, the books are not completely filled up and there's, there's all kinds <laughs> of white space there. And it, sure, clearly it needs to be added to, right? So the idea being that decor is all, it's always a matter of, perception and who's looking at it who sees what they're who sees what's in front of them and how you perceive objects and the density of objects and decor is always about finding the balance between those decorative items and white space and uh, ed made a comment about <laughs> think of the just right in the title of today's webcast like goldilocks and <laughs> goldilocks it's just right <clears throat> And it needs to be a balance that you're comfortable with because there'll always be others who think it's too much or too busy and others that think it's too little according to their personal taste. So you need to find the balance that works for you. Um, I have in my mind a client that I did years ago and I came on the job because the client's mother had died and she lived out of state and she had inherited the contents of her mother's home. And she had hired a decorator and the decorator was going to take what she had in her house and what the mother had in her house and combine it for the best possible display in her home. And so they went out to California and the decorator went through all the contents of the house out there and they made their choices about what needed to come to Houston and what needed to be disposed of out there. And then I got pulled in because in order to add all this stuff from the mom's house, we had to go through and declutter her house. And the decorator didn't want to do that part. <laughs> that was like, that's not very, that's pretty typical. 
right <clears throat> the decorator doesn't want to do the decluttering so i come and do that part but we sort of worked on it as a joint project i would go through an area and clear it up in anticipation of her coming behind and adding things in and um, it included a shel shelving unit just like this in the living room where they she like decorated it all full of all kinds of tchotchkes and this house was the, the walls had stuff all over them there were things everywhere she had a immense job incorporating all of my clients favorite things and all of her favorite things from her mother and blending it all in and they repainted everything and they hung a million pictures and and I still I hauled off so much stuff and <clears throat> the end result was every surface every wall every available place that something could be put or or decoratively arranged was done so uh, by the decorator and in the end the client was super happy she loved all the colors she realized all you know all the fabric that she'd saved to make curtains and all the other things that happened she realized decades of waiting to have this decorative job take place <clears throat> and the end result was 100% to her taste it made her happy everywhere she looked and I found it completely overwhelming and busy. It was so much too much for me. There was so much going on. And it was just like everywhere you looked, your eye couldn't rest because there was something else. And the decorator had done a brilliant job. I mean, er there was nothing that was not artfully arranged or beautifully displayed. Everything was wonderful. It was just too much for me. It was just way too much. But the client was happy. And she she remains to me the the visual I have in my head of with a bunch of money and a decorator and all of the right objects and all of your favorite things. You can make it be beautiful. And it was beautiful. And it was, I don't know how she lived in it. <laughs> I would have been so twitchy living in that space because there was so much stuff in it, but it made her happy. Well, it's sort of, you know, it's sort of the difference between old style museums where, you know, they take an old house and every, every inch of the walls was covered with portraits and landscapes and, you know, huge pieces and little tiny pieces stuffed into every little slot yeah. and more modern galleries where you walk into a room and there's one, you know, there's a room at the, the Cy Twombly gallery in Houston that has one painting in it. Yeah. Now, granted, the painting is like, you know, the size of a football field, but it's one <laughs> painting. But it's one, in yeah. A, in a whole room, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Seuss had a question. Um, okay. Since visual stimulation and sensibilities are so different among people, for a house going on the market to sell, how dense should decor be? Oh, um, a toward real estate the, agent will always the tell you. sparse end, right? Yeah, go sparse because – Everybody wants to be able to imagine their own stuff in the space and they don't want to be distracted by your style. So you want it to be neutral, neutral, neutral. You do not want to have your house be at its perfect best of your style when you put it on the market, because that's how you live in the house, not how it needs to become a neutral space again for the buyers, for the potential buyers. So, when you and this is the hardest part that people have they're like i'm selling my home that i loved 
and have lived in and thought was so fabulous and worked so hard and maintained and decorated. And I want to show it to all the buyers how I have loved it and lived in it. And the truth is, once you decide to sell your home, you have already decided to remove your style from the house. Like <laughs> you have to surrender your house, the, the decor of your house. You have to surrender it before you move out, before the house sells, because it needs to be as neutral as possible so that someone else doesn't come in and react to your house by, Ooh, I don't like this style, which convinces them to not buy the house when they're not buying the style, they're buying the house underneath it, but they have to be able to see the house underneath it. And so you don't want to turn them off with your style. You want, that's why they go in and, and paint walls in more neutral color. And they pull out a bunch of excess furniture. Somebody that stages a house for a living they, you know, come and subtract things uh, in order to make it, oh, so there's a couch and a chair and a lamp in here and there's not much else. Like they suggest how a room could be used without implying that it has to be a certain way or a certain style. And and that's how you convince buyers to see it as their own home, which is the whole point of trying to get them to give you a lot of money for it. They need to be able to imagine themselves in it. They need to be able to see the possibilities. And if your style is permanently imprinted all over the place, um, it's not going to be easy for them to subtract that one and imagine their own. And so, yeah, that's all, that's why the home staging is its home, its own industry now, because people have trouble subtracting their own style and making it neutral again in order to sell the house. And so you hire a stager to come and do it instead. And then you watch as they undo your whole house and pack it up in boxes and take it to storage somewhere, right? <clears throat> it is it, it's an it's a process that people don't realize they're gonna have to go through when they decide to sell their house. And if they're struggling with the idea of selling, it it makes it painfully real to suddenly realize, oh, the the process of moving out has already started just because I've decided to put the house on the market and you immediately start getting subtracted from the house. And it's a weird um, transition for people. So it, this is all about, I was talking about the, this, the difference between decorative items and white space. And my client had like almost no white space. <laughs> she managed to get it all decoratively arranged, but it was very, very tight. If that's your style, then you know you're going to end up having more things than others, but you definitely want to decorate how you want to live with it because there's always going to be people who there's going to be this person that thinks it's too busy and this person that thinks it's not crowded enough. And you're just going to have to do it for what you think is perfect. And then don't worry about other people's judgments about it. Because <clears throat> as soon as somebody gives you a compliment, somebody else is going to come behind and go, oh, that's, oh, I can't, right. It's too much for them. So Everybody has their own levels, right? And you get to live in yours. I, you know, I had a friend whose house looked like a museum, you know, or a, an art gallery. He had almost nothing excessive, very few decorative things. But there's sort of a, there was sort of a mindset that went with it. And so when I visited him, I took a glass of water with me to bed and, and left it on the bedside table in the guest room. And um, when I came back from the shower in the morning, it was gone because <laughs> you don't put a glass of water on the bedside table or at Apparently. least you don't leave it there beyond the early morning of the following day. And that's 
that style, that decorative style and that personality style sort of went together, you know? Right. Yeah. As you can see from the, from the blurred out background, I'm not quite, I'm not quite as minimalist as that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and, and the idea that a house would be in stasis. Right. Right. Like everything has to return to its, to its reset condition immediately immediately yeah which which gives you the feeling that it's not okay for you to live there well i joked to him that you know if he'd prefer i could just come and you know like drink water out of the faucet out of my hand (laughs) (laughs) and then i won't even i won't even have to have a glass to go through the dishwasher what did he say he did not take it in the in the spirit in which i intended it (laughs) yeah that's something you may have felt a little criticized (laughs) Oh, well, but it's a good reflection of, yeah, yeah, not everybody wants the house to be in static, non-changing condition. When you're living in it, that's a, that's a lot to ask. Um, I will say that in terms of decor, if you are one of those people that's committed to changing the decor with the seasons or with the holidays, then just like we talked about earlier, you need a parking space for what is out of season. And that decor that changing season decor is a collection, just like any other collection, just like my beads is a collection or, you know, somebody's puzzles are a collection. And that collection takes up physical space and it's not, you're going to have uh, for the four seasons or for all the holidays, you're going to have a rotating, not, it's not all going to be out at once. That's the definition of changing it out. And so there's got to be some place for that other stuff to go. It's got to sit while it's out of season. And so that's going to be most of the time. I mean, I imagine in my head, people who do holidays and they get to 4th of July. 4th of July is a day. <laughs> and so, you know, maybe the decor is up for a week before and a week after, and then it doesn't make sense anymore, right? Like the window for that for that season, that holiday is very short. And so... It's going to go on the wall and come off the wall in a hurry. And it and the other 360 days of the year, it's going to be in a parking space somewhere. And so you need to have that parking space, like I talked to talked about earlier, where there's some place for it to go um, when it's not in use. And if you're constantly buying things that you want to add or to freshen up the current decor or the decor of the current season. I mean, if you're going in Target and, oh, look, here's the 4th of July display, and isn't that cute? I need to add that. If you're one of those people that is constantly, you know, the stores put out the new stuff and you always bring home a new thing for the season, then you have to develop a rigorous schedule of attrition. There is one area, this is one area where the rule of one in, one out is a method of survival. It's not just a good idea. Because if you're somebody that loves to acquire new decor and change it all the time, you have to be able to release it at the same pace or you're going to drown in your tchotchkes really quickly. And I have carried out bags and bags and bags of, I use this for two seasons for the Halloween and now I've replaced it with these other five things and the ones that don't get used just get shoved to the back of the cabinet. And eventually the cabinet is a box that gets full. Like you can't <clears throat> expect those things to just sort of disappear quietly out the back of the wall. <laughs> they are just getting jammed into a cabinet. And so if you bring it in, you have to be able to release. And you can't be committed to constantly changing the decor around and be worried about the money that you spent. 
if you're willing to spend money to change it up, then you need to be willing to let that money go in the form of donating on the back end. It won't make sense to let the connect collection just continue to expand like expanding foam in your house. You won't be able to store it all or put it all out. There's some point where, you know, you have Christmas, you've inherited Christmas, and then you go out and buy more Christmas. And like, how many places can you hang stuff? And how often this year you use these, next year you use those. Like, there's always things that are happening that you use them for a little while and then they go to the back of the wall. And you just need to accept that you have moved on to a newer, fresher thing. And the ones that were cute two years ago are still cute, but you're not using them because you got this one. You think this is cute instead. And so worrying about the money that's been spent, it's not in alignment with deciding that changing decor often is a necessary part of your life. <clears throat> changing decor is by definition temporary. It's just like fas fashion. What is in right now is out next month. That's the changing. The season's theme is out next month, right? You go from fall to winter to spring. And so you have to think of your purchases as temporary. You're going to change them out in a few months or a few weeks anyway. And if you already have a cabinet full of stuff, you aren't going to reuse because you're going to buy new cute things this season. Then you've got to accept that most of what you use this season won't get picked when that season rolls around next year. Once you shop and decorate for the current season, you should be in the position to let things go that didn't get used out of your collection. <clears throat> Storing an ever-growing collection of decorative stuff, you better be loving it. You better be loving to, to decorate and to spend a lot of time decorating, pulling it out, setting it up. If that's fun for you, and I know that there are people for which that is fun. I get it. So if that's fun for you, then A, treat it like a collection, house it like a collection, you know, find a per permanent parking space and refresh it often. When you add to it, you need to go through and look and see what's ready to be retired. And if you're not that person and you just collect things and at, put a few things up, even though you have four cabinets full of stuff, then it's time to get real about how much you like to decorate and how you like to just have what came out this year and let the other stuff go and be used for someone else. It's time to donate that stuff away. There's a huge amount of it out there. It, it all ends up in goodwill and in schools and in art, um, creative reuse centers. And we consume a lot of it. And I'm sure that we don't use all of it as, as continuously as we could. You might as well put it out there, find somebody that can, does, can't afford and give it away and live with the, the current things that you have. <laughs> I imagine in my head how many bat, how many throw pillows. Like everybody thinks that throw pillow is the cheap and easy way to freshen the couch. And there's a million throw pillows. I had a client that would buy a throw pillow because she was sure it was the right one. And she wasn't even buying them for the season. She would just buy them because, oh, isn't that cute? And would come home and put them on the couch, which would mean that two or three cushions would have to come off the couch because they were last week's purchase. And so I carried away an endless stream of throw pillows from her house that most of them never lasted for more than two or three weeks. And I don't know why that was her decor switcheroo of choice. That was her favorite thing to buy. And then I was carrying off more pillows to go to the store, to the Goodwill. And it was just, I always was amazed that it never bothered her 
that I was taking out another 15 pillows from her house for the past season. And she had two new that were probably, you know, a week old when I showed up to do it. It was always amazing to me. The thing that always surprises me is um, mass produced artwork. When I, I, what's the, uh, what's the, What's the great big home store in uh, in Midtown in Houston? I, I can't think of the name of it. You know the place oh, I'm talking about? It's yes. like three or four stories, huge place. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, mm. Can't remember what it's called. Fashion, high. High, fa high fashion home, something like yes, that. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. That's well, it. they'll have, you know, they have like huge canvases. And I know they're not like completely mass produced. They're not prints, I don't think. Yeah. I think that what they are actually, I think what they are is prints that you know, in a in a factory setting, people come along and go, and then we draw the red blob here, and then we do the do the blue stripe here. You know, they add yeah, some yeah, yeah. add some paint to a print or something like that. Right. But I look at that when I see you know ten copies of the same piece of art, I just think, why, 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 why would I want that? Well, and is that actually, just me? <laughs> the, no, no, no. And then it's that the whole like the massive canvas, right, is assuming a massive house that has a massive wall. Yeah. And so it, it for most homes, if you buy something that's, you know, 10 by 10 and slap it up on a wall, it's like it's like what happens <laughs> when people buy wall. the 70 inch TV screen and it takes up the whole wall in the room. It's like, oh, my God. Right. <clears throat> we don't all live in houses that are so large. Or ceilings that are so high that a 10 by 10 piece of artwork makes sense. And if you do bring home a 10 by 10 piece of artwork into a regular size house and regular walls, then you're hanging that up and you're not hanging nothing else up because you have now taken up the whole wall. Like there's no room to add anything else. So you have eliminated the possibility of hanging anything else that you want in your life because here's this big old honking piece. And so... <clears throat> You definitely have to filter the art and decor for the size of your house as well. And uh, walls, wall space, fill in the blank. Um, some great comments I want to share. Okay, um, let's go. Seuss, who asked us a question about staging, said, I think I can see beyond much of the clutter in people's houses we are looking at. I can see bones of houses, perpetual remodeler here. And I think I can see how this needs to be hotel, hotel staged empty here but getting there doing the work we're in trouble right it's a big job right it's a really big job and so moving is a process where you touch all your things and this is why i say you want to start you know six months out because <laughs> because it's going to take you a lot of time and you don't want to kill yourself in the process and so um going through looking for things that you can subtract and donate that's the biggest you know, big footprint things that can be subtracted and donated. And then um, objects inside cabinets and closets that I don't want to move this. I don't want to own this. I don't want to pay someone to pack it, to uh, let it carry it to the next place, unpack it only to decide that it needs to go to Goodwill. So don't move anything that you don't intentionally want to keep. Use this opportunity to filter all of the stuff that you own for things that can be subtracted now if you have large furniture that needs to go taking it out early will help you feel like you're accomplishing something <laughs> and it'll be the best for anybody that looks at the house if there's furniture that you know is not going to get used at the other at the next place then time to start subtracting that 
quickly. Pay to get it moved. Call your friends who needs it, who wants come and get it. Um, taking out tables, chairs, couches, bookshelves, beds, taking all that stuff away will um, help you feel like you're getting ready. Uh, Diana says, I have allotted a small amount of space for seasonal decor out of necessity. Fresh flower arrangements now serve as my new decor for holidays. Oh, that's a good idea. And how lovely. I'm sure it's quite beautiful. And of course, you're buying stuff that's in the, the flowers are seasonal, right? So you're getting seasonal color as you go and buy fresh flowers. I love it. That's a that's a very, um, you know, you use it, you see it, it's beautiful. You buy it for a couple of weeks and then you are throwing them out when you replace. And that's definitely a one in one out thing. And that works. It really works. And then they go in they go in your compost pile or exactly. composting bin if you have one. Feed <laughs> um, them to the goats. There you go. Paula says the older I get, the less decor I want. The only items on display are things that mean something to me, not random items bought at home goods. There we're you gonna, go. We're gonna talk about the tittle in just a few minutes. And and that's there that's a great statement right there. <laughs> the only items on display are things that mean something to me. There's a manifesto point for right and it use. is very um and it's very reflective of you want those meaningful things you want to be able to see those meaningful things that's what makes you feel like you're at home and so good for you to know that and good for you to make those choices so that it feels more um personal to you and it feels more like your space instead of somebody else's space and that's great it's good to know Seuss added, I want to remove stuff from our lives so we can spend our energy on the activities we want to spend time on in the time we have left. And that's, uh, we talked, we talked, we've talked today about um, balancing decor and white space. And we talked, I think it was last week we were talking about balancing the stuff we store and the space we want to live in. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's, an, that's another great standard. Establish what is how much how much decor leaves you room for living now the stuff on the walls is is probably okay and not in your way for any other activity but anything that has to sit on a shelf or sit on a table is taking up a space that could be dedicated to things that you're more actively involved with in your life mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i also um i think that even the stuff on the walls you've been in houses where somebody's lived there for 40 years and you can tell that 25 years ago they hung all these pictures in the, on a wall and then they never looked at them again or adjusted them again or traded them out or updated them and they have slowly faded and they start to look dated and they don't look like anybody's paying attention and it makes the house feel <clears throat> sort of stuck in time and for me that gives it a sense of not being lived in when it's clear that the you know, the family photos that went up on the wall went up and never got updated or changed out or you know, they don't reflect anybody's new life. Uh, not that they should all come down and be replaced, but occasionally you should pull out one and put something else new that's more current. It's that version of if you get if you set the decor and do nothing for 30 years, you're also living in a space that doesn't reflect who you are completely anymore. And as, in the same way that constantly adding and adding and adding and adding is going to be a problem um leaving it set from 
forever and not changing anything is also another version of not reflecting who you are and where you're coming from right now. Let's see. Anita says, I wanted new seasonal throw pillows, but I didn't want to store the current ones. I bought pillow covers for spring with lemons and leaves and took them off when summer came. Minimal storage space for pillow covers. There you go. Now see, that's that a, yeah, is that's great. smart. That's a good adaptation of the throw pillow idea. It is easier to store the covers than it is to store the pillows. Thank you very much. I like it. I wish all of my clients would listen to you. <laughs> <laughs> Linda says, older gal here who finally acknowledged that seasonal decor was just too much work at this stage in my life. I add just a touch of Christmas, which is easy to put on display and put away after the holidays. Right. I mean, it's one thing when you have little kids and everybody's coming to your house for the holiday. And, and it's another thing when you're not the <clears throat> hosting home. Um, it, you don't need, you're not having a big holiday party. There's not something going on that is a festive event. Um, therefore, you don't need to be the ba decorated backdrop home for something. And, you know, you're right. It's like the little kids, you you make magic for little kids. And we can all be in the holiday season without adding, with completely transforming our house. Yeah, And some people do it by, you know, they hire it out. They hire someone to come in and install everything. It's like, okay, if, if you want to spend the money to have the decor happen, then awesome. That's, that's how you get it done. And it doesn't have to, you don't have to do it yourself, but if it's too tiring for you and you don't want to spend the money to do it, then you can pare it down to something that is meaningful and easy to handle and live with it, live with that. And I think that's great. And, um, and then you can release all the stuff that's stored that doesn't need it, that is never going to come out again. Yvonne says, I use the same decor for Memorial Day, Flag Day, and Fourth of July. I try to make it a season to celebrate our country and service members. There you go. Common theme. You made it a common theme. Good job. That means you get to reuse it a couple of times. Yeah, Excellent. and then, you, then it's not so bad having it take up take up storage space when it's yeah, a set it that comes can be out used a few times. numerous times. Mm-hmm. Good job. Um, Allie asks, what type of person or professional can assist us in setting up our homes where we have this person shop and stage from well-curated items we already own? So this it is a home stager is a profession. Um, and usually nowadays, most real estate agents will know a home stager. Um, either they do it themselves or they hire it out. And so if you talk to your real estate agent um, and ask them for a home stager, um, well, you can also me, Google and search for them. Let me finish the rest of the question, though. Oh, where this said person or persons would assist with focusing and then fulfilling on better to best object placement and the creation of desired aesthetic with decor, et cetera, in creating a mood or vibe, mood slash vibe. Now, that sounds more that's on into interior designer or decorator. A stager is going to try to make it look. I mean, if you imagine that. They're trying to decorate a hotel room, right? There's going to be a minimal amount of furniture. There's going to be a minimal amount of decoration. They're going to try to make it look, um, you know, appropriate for the house. And and they're going to tr try to use the least amount of stuff possible. And so they can use your stuff or they can bring their own stuff. Um, and they'll tell you if they think that your stuff is not neutral enough or you know, if, if you are super creative and everything you have is very 
you know, handmade in particular and or avant-garde or colorful or whatever, they may declare that um, your stuff isn't neutral enough to use. But most stagers have some level of um, decorator in them <laughs> because well, they're trying to make it look nice and they're, they're trying to make it look inviting without making it look too um, neutral. Uh, I mean, uh, narrowly stylized. And so, well, now, of course, Allie was asking about, you know, setting up our own home. So, I mean, a stager could do that, but with fewer constraints where we're not talking about setting up your mm. home for sale. Mm. Okay. Talking about setting your setting up your own space. Okay. Did I miss something there? All right. Then you really just need an interior decorator. Like if you want somebody to come in and look at your stuff and make it look pretty, then you're looking for an interior designer who's going to come and talk to you about here's what you have and what are your favorites and what vibe do you want? And you know, they're the person that can listen to what you are hoping for and, and what you prefer and the colors that you want, and then make suggestions about painting and decorating and arranging and, you know, that kind of stuff. Isn't cheap. But I'll tell you that um, my mother did it when she moved to North Carolina. She hired a, a designer to come and help her take what she had and incorporate her favorite pieces and remove some things that he didn't think worked. And, you know, he helped her buy and pick fabrics and pick curtains and all that kind of stuff. And the end result was a place that she felt really comfortable in that she really loved the look of it was all of her favorite colors. And she was very pleased with the end result. It cost a lot of money, but she didn't feel like she could make it happen by herself and she had never done that before. And she, you know, she's like, I feel bad spending the money. I'm like, mother, what do you, why? You're, you're the one that's going to live there. Why shouldn't you be happy in it? So don't worry about it. Spend the money. And, and although it cost her some money, she was happy with the end result. And she had beautiful things and it was just mm -hmm. sort of, she needed help. Um, curating it feeling curating yeah feeling confident about what what fits with what what and which choices uh go together and all that yeah naomi says i am an entirely non-seasonal decorating person i i'm right there with you i think maybe there's a range of brain wiring for whom for how much we crave novelty mm. marketing wants to push us towards more novelty but I myself am by temperament very conservative. I want everything to last forever just the way it is now. There you go. Well, and and you're right. Marketing wants you to be um, temporary. They want you to be constantly changing because that's how they sell more stuff. Right. So uh, they definitely push for, don't you really want to hang this, you know, 4th of July thing? Don't you really need to pull out Halloween? Don't, you know, all that stuff. And so... <clears throat> The marketing messages are going to be about you constantly changing your decor in order to get the, get you to buy more stuff. That's ultimately their goal. But if you want to set it to what makes you happy and leave it, go for it. It's your house and you should set it how you like it. And, you know, mother's end result was it was not, you know, she put holiday up and down a little bit. She put a little Christmas tree up and there were other things that came out for the front door stuff. But generally she decorated her house and then she lived with the results for the 14 years that she lived there. And so um, she was really happy with the end result and it made her happy everywhere. All the areas in the house made her happy when she was walking around. And so <clears throat> decorate how you like it and then live with it, how you like it. 
Penny clarified, you... stagers are for selling a home, decorators for are for a home you live in. And then um it's all there's also it's also an important distinction. There's an, a, an important distinction between interior designers and decorators. A decorator is only go going to deal with decorative elements, and a designer is is more likely to engage in how you functionally use a space and suggest, you know, you, we should take this. An interior designer might tell you we need to take this wall out, or mm -hmm. we need to, <laughs> you know, in, enlarge this enlarge this space, or things like that. Yeah. Um, Tammy says, I feel sick when I see the ugly puke green paisley prints with turquoise in my front office. Why is my question? Ugh. <laughs> and that's boy, apartment complex front offices have just like the worst decor. I know, always. right? That, it was the it was the cheapest thing available at Home Depot when they were doing it. <laughs> uh, home goods. Home goods. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. Okay, it's it's one o'clock, so we should. Oh my gosh, it is. Fiddle. It is. Look at that. Okay, we're let's uh, talk about next week. Okay, we're going to be back next week, which is February sixth at the usual time, noon U.S. Central, and we're going to talk. You know, Gail and I have been talking for a long time about doing another show about procrastination, but we, but we just don't ever seem to get around to it. <laughs> so we're going to talk next week about procrastination, which is way up there. Way up there on the list of topics we get requested. People, a lot of people struggle with this one. And so we're going to talk about had, that next week. He had to say it. I had to say it. He had to say it. So there we go. So <laughs> the tittle. I'm going to tell you about the tittle. This week's tittle is your decorating manifesto. Uh, this week's assignment is to design a decluttering algorithm slash personal manifesto to fit your style and your decorating aesthetic. Reflect on the elements that you consider a part of the decorative style of your home. What colors, materials, textures, collections, etc., and types of items would you like to include or have you incorporated in the past? Write a list of three or more statements that encapsulate key components of your home's existing style, decorating principles that you'd like to embrace, and practical limits that you plan to observe. For example, <clears throat> I prefer handmade or one-of-a-kind decorative objects to mass-produced items. My motif scheme is a cool color palette of blues, greens, and neutral shades. I like natural materials, watercolor paintings, and handmade ceramics. Everything decorative in my space should make me smile when I look at it. The decor in my home should include only beautiful, useful, or sentimentally rich objects, which is another version of what she said earlier, right? Basically, everything should make me happy. Right. <clears throat> Any horizontal surface should contain no more than five or ideally no more than three decorative items. So those are examples of the kinds of statements we're talking about. Now evaluate the contents of one room in terms of the statements that you wrote. Are there items that don't meet the set of standards that you wrote? Think about grounds on which you'd be willing to make exceptions. For example, this lamp is ugly, but it's the only memento I have of Aunt Jane. <clears throat> that might be an exception that you're willing to make to one of your rules. And then take your design manifesto with you as you shop for new decor. 
Examine each prospective purchase to make sure that it meets the standards you've established. And then revise your statements as needed if you find that they're too lax or too restrictive. <clears throat> the goal here is to get you thinking about what kinds of stuff you actually want to have in your house, what kind of look that you really want to have. And if there's things in the house that don't really pass muster with you, that they're not going to ever get used as decor because you don't, they're going to never fit how you feel about the house, then um, it gives you permission to release it because it doesn't qualify for your um, manifesto. So see what you can do with that and come back and tell us about it. See if uh, you find something that, you created some list of questions, some lists of uh, uh, parameters, and the, then you found something that failed and left the house. <clears throat> Come and tell us about it. All right. If you're watching this on YouTube, we would love for you to join us live. To get notifications about upcoming events, we invite you to join the meetup group by visiting cfhou.com slash meetup. You can also follow us on Facebook by visiting cfhou.com slash Facebook or subscribe to our mailing list by going to cfhou.com slash subscribe. We love to hear from our audience, so please keep your questions, comments, and topic suggestions coming on YouTube, Facebook, or anywhere that you find us. You can always just reach us through our website at clutterfairhouston.com. Thanks, everybody, for coming and listening to us talk today. We appreciate it. <clears throat> We're so glad you're here, and we hope to see you next week when we talk about procrastination finally <laughs> or if we, that's if we get around to it if we get around to it. <laughs> see you later bye-bye bye, -bye. bye.